Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Highliner Foods Incorporated conference call for the results of the fourth quarter of 2021. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. And following the management's prepared remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for a question. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press the star key followed by the zero for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022 at two o'clock Eastern time for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the call over to Charlene Milner, Vice President of Finance Highliner Foods. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the Highliner Foods conference call today to discuss our financial results for the fourth quarter of 2021. On the call from Highliner Foods are Rod Heppenstahl, President and CEO, and Paul Dior, Executive Vice President and CFO. I would like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MDNA. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future. Actual operating or financial results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highliner Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause its anticipated outcomes to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and annual information form. Please note that Highliner Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the fourth quarter ended January 1, 2022. That news release, along with the company's MD&A and audited consolidated financial statements for fiscal 2021, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the Investor Center of the Highliner Foods website. If you'd like to receive our news releases in the future, please visit the company's website to register. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars and therefore the results to be discussed today are also stated in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. Highliner Foods common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod for his opening remarks. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today to discuss our financial results for our year-end and the fourth quarter of 2021. I'm pleased to report that we delivered on our third consecutive year of adjusted EBITDA growth, along with increased sales and profitability for the year. We met our goal of delivering year-over-year adjusted EBITDA growth despite an extremely challenging operating environment. We also increased sales by 5.8%, improved our gross profit as a percentage of net sales by 120 basis points, and preserved our strong balance sheet and leverage ratio. As a result, we are entering fiscal 2022 in a solid financial position, and I'm confident that we can navigate through short-term headwinds 
to position ourselves for long-term growth and leadership in branded value-added seafood. The short-term challenges primarily relate to the global supply chain disruption. Like others in the industry, shipping delays and raw material supply issues are affecting our ability to satisfy demand for our products. These challenges were exacerbated further in the fourth quarter by the shutdown of a major port. During the fourth quarter, our supply chain team worked closely with our sales and marketing teams and interacted directly with our customers to provide real-time updates on the whereabouts of product and options to fill orders. I'm proud of the agility of our team who truly went above and beyond to get our products to our customers and consumers. We continue to benefit from our early work to integrate and optimize our supply chain and advance diversification of supply. I cannot emphasize enough how much this is helping us manage the current supply chain challenges. In today's operating environment, our integrated global supply chain and diversified supplier base are major competitive advantages. Nonetheless, our fourth quarter results were negatively impacted as we were unable to satisfy demand for our products. The year-over-year volume decline was offset by new business wins and new product sales, which bodes well for the growth potential ahead once market conditions stabilize. Another positive is the rebound of our food service business. Last quarter, we saw an increase in sales and volume as our institutional customers, such as schools and hospitals, reopened cafeterias and restaurants. We have yet to experience a full quarter of all segments of our food service industry fully operational, which gives me confidence that the full extent of the food service recovery in terms of sales revenue is yet to come. Furthermore, despite the impact of Omicron, we managed our business without any major interruptions and remained focused on health, safety, and wellness of our people and the quality of our products. I'll now hand the call over to Paul to review our financial performance. I will speak to you again shortly to provide more color on our strategy and outlook for the year ahead. Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the fourth quarter of 2021 are relative to the fourth quarter of 2020, unless otherwise noted. Sales volume decreased in the fourth quarter by 900,000 pounds to 58.7 million pounds. In our retail business, sales volume was consistent with the same period last year due to evolving consumer behavior during the COVID-19 pandemic. In our food service business, sales volume was lower due to the impact of global supply chain challenges on raw material supply to North America. Overall, we estimate that our sales volume in the fourth quarter was approximately 4 million pounds lower as a result of the global supply chain challenges we faced. Sales volume was favorably impacted by new business and new product sales during the quarter. Sales increased in the fourth quarter by $29.5 million to $227.9 million, reflecting pricing actions related to inflationary increases on input costs and favorable changes in sales mix, partially offset by the lower sales volume discussed above. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar in the fourth quarter of 2021, compared to the same quarter in 2020, increased the value of reported U.S. dollar sales from our Canadian dollar-denominated operations by approximately $1.9 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Gross profit increased in the fourth quarter by $5.1 million to $48.6 million, and gross profit as a percentage of sales decreased by 60 basis points to 21.3% as compared to 21.9% in the fourth quarter of 2020. The increase in gross profit reflects favorable changes in product mix offset by higher than expected inflation and the lower sales volume discussed above. 
In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported U.S. dollar gross profit from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $400,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Adjusted EBITDA decreased in the fourth quarter by $600,000 to $20.6 million, and adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales decreased to 9% compared to 10.7%. The decrease in adjusted EBITDA is a result of the increase in gross profit, more than offset by an increase in distribution expenses and net SG&A expenses. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported adjusted EBITDA in U.S. dollars from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $300,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Reported net income decreased in the fourth quarter by uh, $200,000 to $7.2 million, and diluted earnings per share decreased by $0.01 to $0.20. The decrease in net income reflects the decrease in adjusted EBITDA and an increase in income tax expense, partially offset by a decrease in share-based compensation expense and a decrease in finance costs. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses that are explained in our MD&A, adjusted net income in the fourth quarter of 2021 decreased by $1.2 million or 11.7% to $9.1 million, and and correspondingly, adjusted diluted earnings per share decreased by $0.03 to $0.26. Turning now to cash flows from operations in the balance sheet, net cash flows provided by operating activities in the fourth quarter of 2021 decreased by $30.3 million to an outflow of $8 million compared to an inflow of $22.3 million in the same period in 2020. Due to unfavorable changes in non-cash working capital balances, partially offset by lower income taxes paid, lower interest paid, and higher cash flows provided by operations. Net debt at the end of the fourth quarter of 2021 increased by $3.1 million to $271 million compared to $268 million at the end of fiscal 2020. Primarily reflecting higher bank loans, partially offset by lower cash and lease liabilities. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was three times at January 1st, 2022, compared to 2.8 times at the end of the third quarter and three times at the end of fiscal 2020. In the absence of any major acquisitions or unplanned capital expenditures in 2022, we expect this ratio ratio to be below the company's long-term target of three times at the end of fiscal 2022. We do not have any impending debt maturities, and we will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital credit facility if required, and we remain confident in our liquidity position. I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening up the call to questions. Rod? Thank you, Paul. Looking ahead, we believe that there is a significant runway for organic growth within our existing business. We are fortunate to have a strong business foundation, proven market leadership, successful products, and a branded value-added offering that targets the evolving and diverse needs of our customers and consumers. And of course, these attributes are supported by the strength of our balance sheet and leverage ratio, which gives us the financial flexibility required to grow even under the prolonged headwinds. Our strategy to generate top-line growth is simple. Expand where we lead today and expand our market share where we know we can. We'll do this by leveraging trusted customer relationships deepened during the pandemic, 
continuing to go to market differently through sharpening our execution and evolving our approach to anticipate customer needs and capitalizing on brand equity and recognition through targeted marketing. As I've shared with you before, in 2021, we've become much more proactive in our consumer marketing, and we intend to build on this in the year ahead. We are now speaking directly to North American consumers via digital channels and marketing campaigns, and doing so in partnership with our customers. We have significantly stepped up our e-commerce profile over the past year, and will continue to focus as we invest in our brands and showcase the ease and convenience of preparing restaurant-quality seafood at home. Sea Cuisine is a great example of how we are reimagining our products and how we go to market. Last year, the Skin Pack line of chef-inspired, value-added seafood generated double-digit growth for Highlander Foods in 2021 on both a volume and net sales basis, leading to U.S. market share gains in the fourth quarter for the Sea Cuisine Skin Pack line. From a food service perspective, the category continues to grow versus the prior year in the U.S., with 19% growth on a pounds basis and 37% on a net sales basis, building on the positive trends I shared with you in the third quarter. We grew our market share in the U.S., driven by gains in long-term care, school, and casual dining segments. Our portfolio of branded, value-added products remains well-positioned to help operators who are experiencing a surge in demand with limited labor pool. All signs suggest that the labor shortages are here to stay, which provides more incentive for operators to save time in the kitchen with our branded value-added seafood products. For example, an operator in the eastern U.S. who previously breaded our Pollock in-house recently switched to our Brewer's Choice Haddock to reduce labor requirements and provide consistent, high-quality meals. We are really excited about how we can continue to help our customers as we drive growth in targeted food service segments at a time of significant growth. The latest industry data paints a very positive picture of the opportunity ahead. For example, a recent report from the National Restaurant Association is predicting that the U.S. food service industry will grow 6% in sales as consumers return to eating outside of the home. We are allocating more resources to the segments of the food service industry where seafood is underrepresented, such as U.S. quick service. We are working to shift the mindsets around seafood in these segments, for example, we are working with our customers to develop year-round offerings that utilize new flavors and ways, to enjoy, ways of enjoying seafood. We are focused on our distributor relationships by partnering with leading distributors. We can meet the evolving needs of our customers and, make, and gain market share together. As we advance our ambitious growth plans, we will also drive continuous improvement and efficiencies across our operations, including modernization of our asset base, exploration of automation opportunities, and further diversification of our supply chain. The work has served us well through the course of the pandemic, and we believe there is more to do here to ensure that we have the business efficiencies needed to successfully manage our growth ambitions. In addition to the global, to global supply chain challenges and ongoing pandemic-related issues facing our business, we also need to contend with inflation by taking action on pricing. While current inflationary pressures don't appear to be having an impact on product demand, this may change under prolonged and increased pressure. However, we are fortunate that frozen seafood remains one of the most attractive center-of-the-plate protein options for consumers in terms of cost and that our retail and food service portfolios offer options across price points. 
And of course, we will seek to offset cost increases where possible in the business through ongoing and rigorous continuous improvement. To sum up, while there is no doubt that the challenges facing our industry are vast and complex, there is also no doubt in my mind that Highlander Foods and its people will continue to rise to the challenge, evolve, and grow. Despite the pandemic, our company is in a stronger financial position today than at the end of 2019. Our supply chain is more diverse, our, port our portfolio has more branded value-added offerings, and I believe our opportunity to become the North American leader in this regard is greater than ever. In the year ahead, I look forward to executing on our industry leadership strategy, driving additional adjusted EBITDA growth, creating value for all our stakeholders, and living our purpose of reimagining seafood to nourish life. With that, I will hand the call over to the operator for the question and answer period. Operator, please go ahead. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. And if you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. And your first question does come from George Dumais from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, guys. Good afternoon. Uh, maybe to Paul, just a two-part question. Um, in the team's level pricing that you took in the quarter, I'm just wondering if that's enough to offset the higher uh, seafood prices or will you need more price? And are you seeing at all a negative uh, volume response uh, from this higher pricing? Yeah, great. Thanks, George. Uh, certainly on the on the volume piece, I'll answer that first. Uh, we have not seen uh, negative impacts on volume uh, as a result of inflationary um, uh, effects. And uh, we attribute that really to a couple of things. One is uh, there's inflation really across uh, all proteins, all food categories. Uh, and so, uh, in fact, seafood is not up uh, currently as much as some of the other uh, alternatives are. Uh, and uh, also, uh, supply is still constrained. Uh, so we're certainly not at the point where uh, supply is exceeding um, demand. Uh, and uh, as a result, um, we have not seen an impact on, on demand thus far. Uh, the other thing, uh, we'll continue to monitor that, obviously, George. If, if we see persistent ongoing inflation, uh, then that could have some impact uh, on demand. And if uh, the factors around us uh, change, uh, then, of course, we'll continue to monitor that as well. Uh, in terms of um, the uh, cost and price piece, uh, we've been very pleased at how uh, we have been able uh, to pass on price when necessary to uh, cover our cost uh, increases. Uh, that is, is unfolds a little differently depending on food service or retail. Um, there's sometimes a lag in, in uh, some cases in terms of being able to pass on the price, uh, but very confident uh, that uh, our teams are on top of that and that uh, we will be able uh, to uh, protect margin in this inflationary environment. Okay, thanks for that. And Paul, you may have to look at your, uh, your crystal ball for my next question, but um, when would you expect the, the supply response uh, or the supply side from the, from the seafood to maybe come back at all? Just wondering when we can about maybe see some, some stabilization in, in some of our inputs. 
Yeah, we think we'll still face some challenges in uh, the first part of 2022 uh, as a result of uh, primarily processing uh, capacity uh, that we see uh, around the world. Uh, but we expect that uh, that should uh, start to look better as we move into the back, the back half of 2022 at this stage. Of course, the other, okay. the other piece. Yeah, sorry, the, one last comment. The piece not specifically related to seafood that everyone is facing is distribution. Uh, and for us, that's international freight and now uh, domestic uh, transportation. Uh, so, again, we expect that that should start to get better uh, as we move through the year, but certainly uh, it's still a challenge today. Okay, just one last one for me. On, on the, uh, the commentary around inventory, can you maybe give us a sense of uh, working capital requirements? It seems like that may be going up. Uh, but for this year, uh, what would you expect uh, to commit there? Thanks. Yeah, so certainly uh, in uh, 2021, you saw us invest in working capital. Uh, we did that consciously to support uh, what we believe was uh, a, a good position for us relative uh, into the industry in terms of our supply. Uh, and uh, we are going to continue uh, to support our customers by investing uh, in inventory in particular uh, in the near term. Uh, also, obviously, working capital is impacted by inflation, so we've seen that inflation in our uh, in our inventory. Uh, we have been able to offset that to some degree uh, with an increase in payables that you would have seen as well, but not fully. Uh, so we believe as we move through 2022, we should start to see uh, less of a drain uh, on our uh, cash flow as a result of working capital requirements uh, and see us get back to more historical levels. And by historical levels, I mean pre-pandemic, uh, because obviously with the volume declines, particularly in our unprocessed business we saw during the pandemic, uh, we didn't need as much uh, investment in working capital to support our business. Okay, great. Thanks for your answers. Your next question comes from Kyle McPhee from Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Uh, just to follow up on the topic of pricing, can, can you give some color on the actual level of pricing you took during Q4, maybe at least on a ballpark basis, just trying to understand the components uh, making up that gap between volume and price. Volume yeah, it, it would, yeah, sure. So it would be in the uh, low single digits, roughly, in terms of what we had to pass on in terms of pricing. Uh, and the cost increase would have been slightly higher than that, uh, which reflects the the lag that I referred to in uh, in my response to the earlier question. Yeah, Kyle, if I can add on to that, you know, one of the things as far as our ability to pass through price, given the uh, the amount of shortages we had in the fourth quarter, pricing at this point in time is not affecting uh, our ability to uh, uh, you know sell our great products into the market point as at marketplace. As I mentioned earlier, prolonged uh, impact may have some uh, challenges with consumption, but uh, would not have impacted our fourth quarter even with the with the pricing we took. Got it. Okay. And I, I guess it's based on what I know about what's going on with, with seafood pricing. Is it fair to say that your, your pricing gains, the rate of pricing gains is going to accelerate in the immediate term quarter? Yeah. I mean, there still are some increases in seafood uh, raw material costs that we'll experience in our, uh, in our first quarter. Uh, as, as you know, we carry about a quarter's worth of inventory, right? So uh, what you see you know, in the spot market today, uh, hasn't fully made its way through our, our COGS just yet. Got it. Okay. And then on your 
gross margin percentage that, that you delivered in Q4. Can, can you just help me understand how much of that change versus last year what was that timing leg versus other maybe you know, uh, permanent or structural changes to, to your sales base? Or, or was that entire gross margin dynamic just the, the timing leg? Yeah, no, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just the timing leg. A couple of other uh, factors to uh, keep in mind. One is obviously um, there's a bit of a mix uh, change continuing to happen in our business. We're getting some of our unprocessed volume back uh, as a result of the recovery from the uh, uh, from the pandemic, particularly in food service. Um, so that comes at lower margin. So affects gross margin as a percentage of sales. Uh, the other piece is uh, keep in mind that uh, when uh, you see inflation on the top line and in COGS, uh, even if you're fully covering the inflation, it has just it's just the math. It has the negative impact on margin as a percentage of sales. So um, those two pieces, along with um, the uh, temporary, I would say, uh, gross margin impact from a pricing and inflation uh, impact uh, would be what really uh, drove the results. Got it. And, and last one for me, just on on your sales into the food service channel, uh, Rod, you mentioned you still haven't had a quarter with food service um, fully back to, you know, the, the pre-COVID levels. I think last quarter you said the drag was still 9% versus pre-COVID. What, what did that look like in Q4? Uh, I don't have the specific numbers to Q4, but what I can reference is while we saw the category up by 19% in pounds, that's still not back to pre-pandemic levels. So, uh, Paul, I don't know if you have a number handy right on that, what the drag was. I mean, our volume Q4 2020 and Q4 2021 were actually relatively flat, even with, uh, even with the challenges on supply. That's right, yeah. So it would be similar in Q4 as it was for the last quarter run. Got it. Okay. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kyle. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one. And your next question comes from Jonathan Lamers from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Paul, just following up on the earlier discussion um, and your estimate of a 4 million pound impact of sales volumes from supply constraints, is that based only on the challenges that you've had with the processors. Could you just explain how you've developed that estimate just in terms of uh, thinking about how it will benefit the forward quarters? Uh, yeah, so uh, it is uh, driven by the supply constraints, uh, but what we, uh, what we do is we don't uh, necessarily assume that uh, because there was a shortage uh, it, it was a shortage caused uh, just by the supply. In some cases, what you see, as you can imagine, is customers, you know, over order in order to try to build inventory. Uh, and so one of the things that we do in that case is ensure that we're serving all of our customers appropriately uh, and will not meet some of those over orders uh, to avoid shortages with uh, other customers across the board. So we don't assume uh, that the full demand uh, is necessarily um, driving a shortage number. Uh, and so the number that we've reported here uh, would actually be below uh, what, uh, the de what the demand versus the supply uh, was in the quarter. Okay. And just to clarify, uh, earlier you said that actions would be taken to protect margins going forward. 
when you make that comment, is that to protect both the gross margin and the EBITDA margin? Uh, I'm just trying to get a sense of whether the, the price increases are sufficient to cover raw material inflation, the increase in ocean shipping rates, the increase in freight rates. Uh, if you could just clarify that. Yeah, no, absolutely. When we when we pass price, it's focused on protecting our bottom line. Uh, so that would cover all of the components of COGS and and price increases that we may face uh, below COGS. In particular, you know, a bunch of our distribution expenses aren't in COGS. The domestic freight uh, being the best example. Uh, so we we believe that we will be uh, able to cover the cost increases that we've experienced in our business uh, through our price increases to protect margin dollars. As I, as I mentioned earlier, not necessarily margin percentage uh, because of the fact that sales dollars will be up, but also costs will be up. Okay, and the increases that were taken in Q4, uh, there was a bit of a lag in the food service, but uh, uh, you are confident that, you know, the price increases are going through. There's no, there's no strong resistance to those that we should be thinking about. Well, there's always strong resistance to price increases, right? I mean, the reality is no one wants to uh, no one wants to pay more. Uh, but uh, we're, we've gotten very good at identifying the fact that it is a necessary cost increase to cover costs that, in many cases, customers understand are affecting certainly others in the industry, not just uh, Highliner and not just uh, not just seafood. Um, in terms of the lag, just to be clear, the lag is is typically a little more in retail. Uh, than it is food service. It, it can be, uh, you know, we can have lead times across both food service and retail, but retail tends to be the one that lags more. Okay, thanks for your comments. And there are no further questions at this time. Oh, I'm sorry, we do have a next question, and it's coming from Sabahat Khan from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, great. Thanks and good afternoon. Um, I guess this big picture, you know, some of the commentary earlier around pricing and, you know, you noticed there wasn't really a big fall off in demand. Just, I guess, or more from a retailer perspective, you know, are this still, you know, open to kind of adding more products in kind of the frozen category? You know, these categories are phenomenally well during the pandemic. Now, obviously, there's inflation. Kind of how are they thinking about your category and your offering? Kind of, and are they noticing any different across your brands at all um, in the retail side? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate it. Um, I would say the reception to uh, our products, uh, specifically, uh, yeah, obviously in the frozen seafood category, has been very, very uh, well received. While there has been uh, an emphasis by retailers to ensure product is in stock versus potentially bringing on new products, particularly during the fourth quarter, um, they have seen the fact that uh, one third of consumers have identified that they want to eat more seafood. We have seen that uh, seafood sales. Um, have really normalized in 2021 from the increase we've seen in 2022. So well, while I don't have any consumption data for you, my assumption would be that consumption is up. So we're getting strong receptivity um, to uh, the products. And I would say the work that we're doing to drive consumers into the category is also uh, providing uh, our retailers with some confidence in what we do. And as an example, uh, as we really focus on our digital approach, uh, our Sequizine uh, skin pack line was actually up 13.7% over the last 13-week period. 
So we're seeing great uh, performance there. Our Canadian retail share was up 2% uh, in the fourth quarter. So there is um, significant demand for uh, frozen seafood, and we continue. We, we expect that to continue in the future. All right, thanks. And then I guess on the food service side, you noted, you know, there's obviously the expectation that folks get out more and get to restaurants and they should see some growth. You know, in terms of your product offering and your kind of portfolio mix at this point in the cycle, do you think kind of the offering there is kind of well suited for, you know, the where consumption trends are in the food service channel? Do you have kind of new innovation focused on maybe meeting some of that demand? Just want to kind of understand how you're thinking about the food service offering you currently have versus where the industry is going. Yeah, I would say Highliner is absolutely ideally positioned um, to meet the, the ever-changing needs of the food service customer for a whole host of reasons. The first of which is um, we have a variety of different um, price points and product offering to meet everything from quick service to uh, you know, family, casual dining, um, and even white tablecloth for some, uh, for some white tablecloth restaurants. The other aspect of it is as we talk about labor continuing to be um, short, our product offering from a value-added perspective uh, eliminates the need for back-of-house prep. Um, and we are seeing more and more operators shift from in-house prep to our pre-prepared value-added products. Um, not to mention our product is frozen, so when we have um, spikes in demand and or lulls, depending on whatever new regulations come into the area, there's not a food waste issue associated with our particular product versus even some fresh products. So, Ideally, we are, I should say, we are ideally uh, situated to meet those, uh, those changing demands. And we're going to continue to launch um, new and innovative products that are uh, targeted to, of course, continue to easy prepare, but also across the uh, evolving uh, flavor profiles and trends of the consumer across North America. And I guess as you look at that sort of mix of food service demand, you know, I think you said there's a very, very price point. You serve institutions, restaurants. You know, are you are you rethinking kind of that mix at all, or do you feel like it's in a good place? You know, I know there's a focus on margins as well. Like, how do you feel about the mix of customers across that base, and even just the the different price points that you're offering? Yeah, um, so we we believe there's ample opportunity where seafood is underpenetrated. Now we have a very nice mix of customers. Um, we are well represented across most major segments, but an area where, where there is significant opportunity, not only around consumption and exposure for seafood to the North American consumer, but around Highliner continuing to expand its sales is in the quick service uh, area. And we're working with many of those customers now to deliver you know, year-round product offerings that are either permanent menu-based or LTO-based really around uh, seasonal flavors and a variety of other things. So we will continue to expand our market segments so that we have a much more, um, whether it be uh, a diverse product portfolio, a customer portfolio and segment portfolio to whether whatever uh, dynamic may come our way in the future. Okay, great. And then just one last one, I guess, on the balance sheet. You know, at about three times right now, you're targeting taking that a little bit lower. Um, how should we think about sort of the capital allocation? Obviously, you know, M&A has historically been a focus for you guys. Kind of where are you guys in the cycle right now? Is it more about, you know, focusing on the, the kind of the core business, making sure there's enough product out there? You know, how should we think about it as you're, you know, moving to leverage, which is kind of within the range that you're targeting? Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, on uh, capital allocation priorities, uh, you're right. Absolutely. Our first priority is the organic growth in our business because we still see lots of opportunity there. And you've seen that we've uh, made the decision to uh, invest in CapEx uh, to support that. We've invested in uh, marketing to support the brand as well. 
uh, and that and that will continue. Um, of course, we recognize uh, the importance. And, and sorry, I should also add, as I talk, mentioned earlier, uh, the investment of working capital to support our business. Uh, that that will continue. Uh, of course, we recognize the importance of the dividend, and we were we were pleased last quarter that we announced a dividend increase uh, once again. Uh, and as uh, we continue to grow our earnings, we will continue uh, to support the dividend. Uh, we, we believe we have gotten to a point from a leverage perspective uh, that we can support uh, uh, accelerated growth opportunities. We've got the capacity to do that. And we believe we have uh, the capability uh, to, to execute on that as well. Uh, so we'll continue to look for those opportunities. Uh, but we will be, uh, we will be prudent. Uh, we'll make sure that they are truly strategic opportunities. We'll make sure... Uh, that we have the capacity to integrate them well, uh, and that um, they're accretive uh, to our uh, financial profile going forward. Uh, and at this point, we haven't identified anything, uh, obviously, to move forward with, but we will uh, certainly be uh, continuing uh, to look for those opportunities. All right, great. Thanks very much for the caller. There are no further questions at this time. You may please proceed. Uh, to close, I want to thank you for joining the call today. We look forward to updating you with our results for the first quarter of 2022 on our next conference call in May. Please stay safe and well. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you very much for participating and ask that you please disconnect your line. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.